Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Agnes London podcast. In this week's episode, I'm chatting to social media consultant, sustainability enthusiast and long distance runner, Flora Beverly. We chat about everything from sustainability to what it's like having a large following on social media and sustainable sportswear, as well as air pollution and marathon running. So lots and lots of really great topics covered in this episode. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to say one quick thing, and that is that this episode was recorded at the end of February. So apologies if it feels a little out of date with current events, but I think you'll still enjoy it anyway. Welcome to the podcast, Flora. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on. It's great to be here. So um, to begin with, let's start talking about sustainability, because I know it's something you talk about a lot and something you're passionate about. So I wanted to know where your interest in sustainability came from and what your journey looks like in that respect. Yeah, so um, for as long as I can remember, I've been really into the natural world and nature and um, honestly, like the first birthday present I ever remember getting was a dolphin uh, adoption from WWF um, and I've been supporting them ever since Um, but the kind of sustainability thing came a little bit later I was always interested in you know turning off the lights and saving water and all of this kind of stuff and constantly Mm -hmm. hounding my poor family for not doing it (laughs) right Um, I put that in quotations because obviously there are lots of different ways of doing it right Um, but I've been pescatarian since I was four years old Mm -hmm. I've never liked meat but so that makes it really easy but once I found out you know about the environmental impacts and all that kind of stuff I decided that I was going to continue with that and um uh, became plant-based around two and two and a half years ago um because of those reasons as Mm. well I studied biology at university um and that gave me an interest in conservation and kind of furthered my sustainability interests as well do you like meat replacements or are you one of these people? Because I know that not everyone likes all the vegan meat replacements that are on the market now, like the people that don't actually like meat. Yeah, well, I think it's great that they're there because obviously the more options there are, the better it is for people who want to give up meat for sustainability reasons, but actually really enjoy it, like yeah. all of my sisters. Um, but for me, there are some that honestly taste so similar to meat. And maybe it's just because I haven't had it in like, I don't know, like mm. meat. 15 years or something yeah (laughs) um that that I actually don't like them um but for health like I think they're good I think it's great that they're there and there are lots as well that I really enjoy yeah yeah definitely that's so true sometimes I've been served them and I'm like have they given me the actual chicken burger (laughs) yeah I've I've sent things back on multiple occasions less so in the last year because I feel like you just now know that they're gonna be really good but before that like a few years ago when I was trying to get them around um London and stuff and they actually started doing really good ones Mm. I'd actually send the dish back and they'd send it back out to me and be like no 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 No, this This, is the right one (laughs) this is the right one (laughs) I know sometimes it's nice to have that reassurance yeah oh definitely um so you mentioned that you're really interested in the natural world um is that where your love of running stems from like getting outside being out in the natural world definitely I think um I've always kind of wanted to be a runner because Mm. I love walking but you're just so limited in terms of speed and the amount of ground that you can cover when you're walking and I'd see people out like going four times as fast as I am also on foot you know covering things that you couldn't cover if you were cycling or in a car you Mm -hmm. know up a mountain or whatever it is and I'd be so envious of them and so I just decided one day that I wanted to be a runner and let me tell you it does not come naturally to me (laughs) 
I can relate to that a lot. I have a very love-hate relationship with running in that I love to think I'm a runner, but I absolutely hate the actual running part. <laughs> but afterwards, don't you feel great? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes not, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I do. Yeah, no, but I mean, the reason I recently, well, I only really properly started training about a year and a half ago um, when I was asked to do Tokyo Marathon. Mm. Um, Tokyo Marathon is in March. It's like at the very, very beginning of March. Yeah. And I was asked in the December before then. And I was like, oh, oh that's not long. <laughs> <laughs> I better start running then. Um, and so I took it up and um, I kept getting injured, uh, which is a recurring injury. I've been having that for around five years now. Um, but then I figured out that if I went on the trails, not only did I get to explore so much more and, and find out, you know, place, find places that I had never even thought mm-hmm. to visit mm-hmm. and, and, you know, be outdoors, which is obviously good for mental health. Yeah. But also I wasn't actually getting injured anywhere nearly, near as badly as well. So, um, yeah, so I just figured trail running is, is my thing. I might not be good at it, but I love it. So, you know, why not? That's all that matters then, isn't it? If it's something that you enjoy. How did you prepare for the, um, like the different kind of climate in Tokyo? Well, um, currently outside, it's about seven degrees and pouring with rain. Mm-hmm. Um, in Tokyo, it was seven degrees and pouring with rain. So, so exactly <laughs> the same then. It was exactly the same. Unfortunately, it was only the second time in the history of Tokyo Marathon that it ever rained. Mm. And it's, it's an 80 year history. So we were seriously unlucky. Yeah. Um, uh, but we got round. By the time I got to the start line, my feet were squelching in my shoes. Oh, that's horrible. It was horrendous. But I got round and I feel like coming from um, Britain, I had a little bit of an ad- advantage when yeah. it came to like being used to the weather. Yeah, you're probably more used to it than the locals. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And training throughout winter as well, you know, it's, it's just part yeah. and parcel of running in the UK. Yeah, I know. I think that's the thing with spring marathons, isn't it? Is you have to do your training at the worst exactly. part. And even if it's like raining or snowy, you still have to go out and run. But okay. if you can run in that, you can run in anything. And that's why I always encourage people to pick up their training in winter. Because although it's miserable to get out and it's really bad and you come mm. back from a long day at work and it's dark and it's raining and it's just yeah. grim. If you can force yourself to go out, even for just 20 minutes... A, that's an amazing sense of accomplishment mm-hmm. that you get after that. And B, if you can do it then, you can honestly do it at any point and it gets around to summer and you're like, oh, whoa, this is actually really fun. Yeah. And I've improved so much um, compared to how I was when I started. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a good, really good point. Um, So I used to work for sportswear brands and we were given a lot of education around the items that we we're selling, specifically like trainers and sports bras and things like that. And it was like, if you're training for a marathon, you need two pairs of trainers, um, you know, to alternate throughout your training. And I forget how many miles it is now that you're meant to change your trainers in between. Um, and also you meant to ch- uh, change your sports bra regularly. So it's still got the same, you know, support in it. So I wanted to get your take on this from a sustainability point of view, because it's something I've really struggled with. Um, my background is in sportswear. I was doing sportswear design before this. And um, when I was learning about fast fashion and fashion and really trying to slow down and stop buying things, I was like, but if I need new trainers, because I'm getting bad knees, like, you know, that's a purchase that I've got to go out and make. And I don't want to buy secondhand ones because they'd already be worn in. So what's your view on this? Um, I think it's important to remember that whatever we do to be more sustainable is a good step. So Mm -hmm. um, I think people have it backwards with fashion versus sportswear. People are always buying the new 
collection and they're always trying to buy something new when it comes to their everyday clothes and then kind of letting things go a little bit on the sportswear yeah. side of things yeah, that is true um I think if you can switch those around and just stop buying things uh when it comes to your everyday fashion have your kind of capsule collection wardrobe um and it's the stuff that you can wear every season you know it doesn't go out of fashion because it's just like jeans or whatever yeah. um then that gives you a little bit of leeway for buying new things mm. when it comes to sports because obviously we've got to be sustainable and conscious of our uh, impact on the planet but mm-hmm. also you don't want to be injured the whole time exactly, and, and yeah. um you know i i've constantly i've had to be telling people for ages that like having the right sports bra is also incredibly important mm-hmm. um because yeah i mean it's damaging if you don't um Having said that, there are ways to be more sustainable when it comes to purchasing sportswear. Um, so what I try and do, I'm I'm really lucky in that uh, my job means that I do actually get to try lots of different um, brands and lots of different collections and all that kind of stuff. But I try to, once I'm done with something, I try to give it to a friend. So like things like leggings, mm. um, they don't, you don't need to change them. Yeah. Right. But people do. They want to, and and that's fair enough. Like people have the right to change them if they Mm. want to, but you can switch with friends and and family and all that kind of stuff and, um, or give to charity. Mm. And then there are also more and more so, um, sustainable activewear brands. And previously they've kind of been just focused around yoga and like going to pick your kids up from school and your kind of nice yoga pants. Yeah, Yeah. right. Exactly. But they've not necessarily been high performance Mm. and that's not true anymore. There are so many brands out there that have um, sustainability aspects, if not, you know, are fully sustainable. So, for example, out of the big brands, um, Adidas is doing a lot when it comes to sustainability. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to be a market leader. And obviously, there's only so sustainable that a really big brand like Adidas can be. But if you really are needing, you know... um, some new ultra boost then why not go for their kind of future craft loop ones mm-hmm. um that have less of an impact um or can be can be recycled yeah like that and then when it comes to trainers um i know that nike have a recycling program that recycles them into athletics tracks um Ooh, which cool. is a really cool um kind of circularity where you're running on the track on your shoes yeah. your shoes get holes in and then they and become they the, track. the track yeah. yeah which i really like i think that's a great that's idea a genius idea exactly oh, no. yeah sells itself <laughs> <laughs> and then there are a lot of shoes that i have that i would no longer wear for running but i would still wear for walking and and you know traveling mm. around the place um that are just super comfy like once you've worn a pair of trainers for a year yeah. they are just like the most comfortable things they're fully molded to your feet so you don't need to throw them out um and if you need to get rid of them and you don't have a nike store near you um i think runners need have also done um, recycling things a lot of specialist running shops do um then there are recycling banks same with uh, clothes and all that kind of stuff that you can use if they really are unusable yeah that's a really good point about recycling them and also i think as well if you get like say leggings and things like that and sports tops if you get really good quality ones then hopefully they will last i've had leggings that have lasted me like three or four years oh yeah so yeah they don't have to be it's not quite as like trend driven Mm. as um as like fashion items are yeah, 100%. And once you've found what works with for you as well, you can just keep that up. It's not like you have to be changing it for the newest style. Like, mm. there's a style that works for you. And because it's performance-driven, if that style works for you, stick to it. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think as the kind of demand for um, sustainable sportswear grows, we're only going to see more brands starting up that have um, sustainability at their heart. And the small brands need the big brands to get on board almost so they can have access to those technologies and those fabrics as well. Well, the big brands will be finding themselves um, with increasingly strong competitors when it comes to sustainability and they'll need to catch up. And I really can't wait for the day that that every single brand needs to have a sustainability pledge. Mm. Yeah, hopefully that won't be too far away. Hopefully not. (laughs) So another kind of, I know I've seen you write about how running should be the most kind of sustainable form of exercise because you don't literally all you need is your pair of trainers and you're good to go. Um, So I wanted to talk about another aspect of running and running races that possibly is um, kind of unsustainable. And we see a lot of uh, images on this, like especially like post London Marathon, you see the streets lined with the plastic bottles and the empty energy drink bottles. And I know when I was doing long running, I really relied on the um, the energy gels, which obviously come in sachets. So what alternative is there to that? Because I mean, like... Um, you don't really want to go and run a marathon with your massive like metal water bottle, do you? Carrying that around. So there are lots of alternative options um, and it's about finding what works for you because the only sustainable option is really the one that works mm. for you. If, if mm. you're kind of, if it doesn't work, then it's, yeah, it's not going to work in terms of sustainability either. Um, when it comes to water, that's the easy, that's like an easy thing to, yeah. to sort out. In marathons and long races, um, you see all these plastic bottles thrown out because um they're provided by the race and people assume that they need water every single aid station right yeah um a that's not true uh for the vast majority of marathons you actually don't need as much water as you think and having too much water can be dangerous Mm. um if you're out there for six plus hours then of course you're going to need more water than if you're out there for four hours and less Mm -hmm. but you don't need as much water as you think and um taking one sip from a water bottle and chucking it out also means that that water bottle can't be recycled um, because they're not going to stand there squeezing out the remaining water from all of the water (laughs) bottles so that they can recycle them. And that was a massive issue, I think, with... Was it Volvic? I can't remember for the last London Marathon. Yeah, I'm not sure who sponsors it. Um, It wasn't... Either way, it it wasn't ideal. Um, So what I always recommend people to use is a hydration pack, I use them with all, for all of my training runs so that you just get used to them. It also means that you can add in your keys, your phone, um, a wallet for emergencies, especially if you're going on a long run. That's quite a good thing to have with mm-hmm. you. Um, food, gels, which we'll get onto in a second, and a bladder as well. Um, so something to keep your water in that means that you can drink it on the go. So it doesn't have to be your massive metal water bottle. Yeah. Um, but something like Camelback means that you can have it um, just pressed against your back and it doesn't feel clunky like you do not notice at all Mm -hmm. and then you can just sip water from it as you go and I use those in all of my training runs um that are over say 12k or something Mm -hmm. um even though I don't need water for that distance it means that when it comes to a longer distance I'm used to running with that on my back yeah and now I don't even notice it it's also great in the UK where the weather weather is quite unpredictable and you can have a couple of extra layers in your bag um and I have three of them for various different things so I've got like a 12 litre one that's for really long runs where the weather might be incredibly unpredictable Mm -hmm. Um, and then a 5 litre one that just you know fits my phone a rain jacket and my keys in it 
Yeah, definitely. And I guess it's a mental thing as well. You want to train with the equipment that you're going to run with on the day as well. Yeah, absolutely. What about um, like energy gels and energy drinks? I know I've tried running with like dried apricots before, like trying to sleep on them. (laughs) Um, Well, again, you know, it really does depend what works for you. Um, I really enjoy homemade flapjacks and I can eat and run at the same time it's just like I can eat and do anything at the same time honestly it's a special skill um so I try and make I try and make my own flapjacks for long treks and long runs but when I'm racing if it's going to be a fast race I can't chew that quickly um and in in those situations I do try and go for the pre-packaged ones but I limit them like I don't I, I don't just have them whenever yeah um and also not chucking your wrappers is really important as well and disposing of them properly so that they don't get into waterways and all that kind of stuff really helps improve the sustainability even if it you know it is a packaged item which obviously isn't ideal mm. then a lot of people have um, energy drinks as well and mm. I think energy drinks are such a waste of plastic because you can if you need um if you need an energy drink you can get tablets yeah um, or like Lucozade, uh, little sweet things that you just, they just dissolve on your tongue. And in that, so you get a packet and yeah, sure it's plastic, but in that you can have 20 drinks rather than getting a plastic bottle that you need to then remove the sleeve on in order to recycle. And you're probably not going to do that on your run because you're busy running. Mm. Um, and then that has plastic per, per bottle basically. Yeah. So energy drinks, they're, sh- they're kind of, should be no reason for you to require one unless you're in a really dire situation Mm. um yeah so I guess it's it's kind of um owning your actions during the race and not just like leaving your sachets for someone else to dispose of actually yeah same with water bottles as well Mm -hmm. there are bins along the course and I I uh, trust me I get the um being caught up in race day I really do get it but carrying along an empty water bottle for a few hundred meters doesn't you know make or break race day for the vast majority of people yeah yeah cool thanks so um you live in london or near Mm -hmm. london yeah i live in london so i'm guessing most of your training runs are kind of around the city or in the city unfortunately so yeah (laughs) do you um is that something that concerns you like the pollution um compared to running in the city or like do you notice a massive difference between when you can get out on the trails and you can run in the countryside um do you notice a difference in the air quality and is that something that concerns you in the long run for you know you're out there you're running you're doing something that's meant to be good for your health but is the you know the air pollution kind of damaging at that in that respect yeah, this is something that I've always been really conscious of. Um, living in London and traveling outside of London and then driving back into London again, you notice the pollution. Mm. I've al- I always have, like for as long as I can remember, I've always noticed pollution. And I think um, it's exacerbated by the fact that when the pollution is high, I get exercise-induced asthma, which is obviously not ideal if no. I'm looking to be running around London. Um, it's hard enough. I don't need to make it any harder. <laughs> um So yeah, when it comes to pollution, pollution is a massive issue in London and it's by no means the worst place in the world for it. I've just, Mm. I've just come back from Mumbai and Mumbai was really on another level of Mm. um, polluted, but the issue is very real and there are 10 times the number of deaths from pollution as there are from traffic incidences in um, Europe Mm. every single year. So 
it's it's a big problem and the government can kind of ignore it because it's invisible right yeah in the vast majority of places where there's really bad pollution it is invisible um but that doesn't mean that it's not impacting us Mm. when it comes to running though thankfully running is really really good for you right yeah um and doing more running in a city doesn't negatively impact your health in comparison to running sort of elsewhere Mm. um the pollution is a factor and more so psychologically apparently than physiologically so it does as long as you are a fit and healthy person um and not quite a lot of older people or overweight like heavily overweight people yeah can struggle because it constricts your um, blood vessels and has to make your heart and your lungs work harder Mm -hmm. um but for the vast majority of people our bodies can cope with that little bit of extra stressor. Um, And also then if you're racing somewhere that's not polluted, hopefully it will feel so much easier. So that's, you know, Mm. that's something to bear in mind. It's not necessarily a negative. But all the studies that there have been, and there haven't been that many on this, have suggested that exercising, both cycling and running and walking in a polluted place is still better than not doing those exercises at all and just living in the polluted place. Mm. So... um, in a marathon, this is a fun fact that I learned yesterday. In a marathon, you breathe the same amount, the same volume of oxygen as someone who is sedentary would breathe in two days. Oh, wow. In the course of an average marathon. So yeah, it makes a difference. Yeah. I guess the fitter you are, the more um, efficient your, um, can't think of the word, but like your lungs and airways. Yeah. And you have a higher VO2 max. So your body yeah. uses, um, yeah, your body use, utilizes oxygen better within that time and also you're out there for for less long yeah um but i think it was something up to three and a half hours of cycling or 12 hours of running um walking and running is healthy even in a polluted city so that they, they showed that up into up to the highest levels of pollution um that basically it's still better to do um exercise in a yeah. polluted place than to not do any exercise at all the benefits outweigh the risks so up to 12 hours. Something like that. And no one's 12, running 12 hours a day. No. So if you're <laughs> running over 12 hours a day, then you're getting into dangerous territory. Yeah, maybe like, don't do that. But I feel that's like nice we have bigger <laughs> issues if you're running 12 hours a day. Yeah, that's a nice excuse not to. I'm going to keep my run to 11 hours today. <laughs> yeah. And there are also ways of just making yourself a little bit safer. Um, if you place yourself one road over from a main road, the pollution can drop by 50%. Oh, really? So mm. when I see people running along Euston Road and God forbid Oxford Circus and all this kind of stuff, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? When A, I mean grim, but B, also you could literally be one road over and reducing your risk significantly yeah. from a low risk to a much, much lower risk. And it just, you can smell it as well. Like it's such a miserable um, feeling breathing in polluted air. Honestly, yeah. feels like you're sucking on someone's exhaust pipe and it's really, really grim. Yeah, it's so horrible running past like a smoker or um, yeah, mm. like standstill traffic when you yeah. can, you're inhaling their exhaust, like you yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. And um, another thing is that most people breathe through their mouth, which bypasses the nasal passages. And what the nose does is it traps particles. And the worst particles when it comes to pollution is PM 2.5 and PM um, 110, I think. Um, and when you breathe through your mouth, your nose hairs and all of the stuff in your nose that would usually filter that out can't work. Mm. So it's there to filter out viruses and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it also 
also filters out pollution. And um, for a lot of people, they breathe in and out through their mouth and just bypass that whole system. So that's your first defense. Mm. So if you can slow down your runs and start to learn how to breathe through the nose, um, it will massively help the pollution, but also it may help with your running because it increases the oxygen um, yeah. absorption from the air. Yeah, well. I was always taught to breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth when I'm running. Yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And if I'm not running with music, then that's what I'll focus on. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I like the idea that just going down side streets and also you'll get somewhere so much faster if you go down the side streets than go down yeah. Oxford Circus. Yeah, exactly. And you're not trying to dodge people. And, you know, I honestly, I was running down the road the other day and someone veered onto my side of the pavement. They were coming towards me and they just veered onto my side of the pavement and just stuck out their leg to trip me up. And I was like, honestly, London is just on another level of wild. <laughs> It's so weird. I, I have no idea. I have no idea. But it, it made me laugh um, after it made me really angry. <laughs> what, were, were they driving or were they on a... No, like they, were, a... No, they were just walking on the pavement as well. And they saw me running and decided they wanted to slow me down a little bit. <laughs> so it was like a bit of an obstacle course, but it was all right. They're probably jealous because they ran out running. <laughs> There's, I don't think anyone is jealous of a runner on the street. Honestly, every time I look, I'm like, I'm so happy I'm not doing that. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I see, like, you know, when you see people bounding along and they look like it's really easy. Mm. I just know it's false advertising though because I know when I do it I do not look like that and I certainly don't feel like that so yeah um Tenzing also you know Tenzing the energy drink they Mm -hmm. have um a clean air tracker that means that you can plan your routes and I think you can connect it to Strava um which is like a run tracker app um which means that you can plan routes that are less polluted mm-hmm. and I think it's live so you can see um like the end the pollution levels as you at that time around. yeah oh. and also um it will show you at the end of your run what the pollution level on that run was total mm. so you can see say um if you have regular running routes then actually mm. doing that route at that particular time is more polluted or less polluted and therefore you should or you shouldn't do it um and that's yeah I've not I'm yet to try that so I actually yeah. don't know how well it works but I have a lot of runner friends who use it so oh. um I will be trying that out at yeah. some point that's great technology like that's great and surely there'll only be more demand for technology yeah absolutely like in the future and I think what they found as well is that um pollution in the mornings is much less than it is in the evenings so um I'm sorry for you late risers I'm one of you <laughs> um but running in the morning is generally better for you than um then yeah trying to do it in the evening especially around rush hour that's like peak i think 6 p.m is sort of peak pollution time mostly yeah which is probably when most people are running around Mm -hmm. london or cycling exactly so if you um another point on increasing the sustainability aspects of running is um to turn your commute into a run yeah so for a lot of people uh you'll be getting the tube or um even driving um but if you can run part of that then that you get your running Mm -hmm. um Hopefully it'll be in the morning, so less polluted anyway. Yeah. And you'll be using less energy than, um, say, if you were driving. Yeah, and hopefully there's a shower or something yeah. in, your, in your office building. I think more and more places are yeah. doing that, like kind of encouraging, because they know that healthy workers are happy workers and also more productive as well. Yeah, exactly. And especially when you work in London and you have like an hour-long commute each way or whatever, like that's a big chunk of your day that you yeah. could be spent exercising absolutely and you'll be surprised how quick it is as well for a lot of routes like for example if i want to go down southwest Mm -hmm. it's quicker for me to run there than it is to get public transport yeah it's also cheaper so great as long as i don't have to arrive looking good i'm fine (laughs) (laughs) well your job is based around running and looking good (laughs) 
<laughs> Let's not forget that. It's a fickle world. <laughs> if there's a makeup artist on the other yeah, end, exactly. then you're good. <laughs> so while we're talking about your job, obviously we've talked about that you're passionate about running, you're passionate about sustainability. You work with a lot of brands and you work with a lot of companies. And I was just wondering what kind of screening process you use or how you make sure you're working with brands that align with your values. Yeah, it's something I've been thinking about more and more um, as I try and work with more sustainable brands. Um, but also, you know, I need to make money somehow. Mm-hmm. And I've chosen to make this my career and I'm I'm keen to make it work for me, but also to have a positive impact on people and the world. Um, and I have a bit of cognitive dissonance when it comes to, you know, uh, being an influencer, in inverted commas, everyone mm-hmm. for who, who can't see what I'm doing, um, and a blogger and encouraging essentially what is consumerism you know social media is based around people wanting things and wanting things is not really good for the environment we the vast majority of the people who are on instagram have things they need they have you know we all have kind of a way that we can live relatively comfortably and yet here we are scrolling through instagram being like oh i want what she has yeah so i have some issues with it um, but I try to make sure that the benefits outweigh the negatives. Mm-hmm. So, for example, by introducing people to brands that I think are really have a really positive message, um, whether that's you know to do with sustainability or empowering women or um, you know not using uh, you know, people in Bangladesh are being paid three pounds a day or whatever it is, um, I try and use my voice to support those places. So even if I'm not buying from them I still want to support them so that if anyone is looking for something then they can you know find that through my page and and, and you know but purchase something yeah. from a more sustainable brand um but having said that I do do collaborations and I do work with brands and I need to have some sort of screening process as you say mm. so I have an agent um and she handles most of my collaborations and she knows not to even come to me <laughs> with half of the stuff that I'm sent yeah Um, So there's a lot of fast fashion brands that um, don't even have any marketing outside of social media. Mm -hmm. Um, And they use people's desire to get free things and to be well known to market a product that is kind of um, sub sub quality, like it's kind of crap, Um, Mm -hmm. really cheap prices. And it looks great on someone because potentially it's photoshopped, but also like they're a model so it would and then you buy it online and it honestly looks I mean we've seen all these things like you buy it from (laughs) eBay and it arrives and it looks like a tent or something um so my agent doesn't even send me those things so the rest of the stuff that I'm sent then I need to go through those Mm -hmm. I try to have a look at um what their ethos is when it comes to sustainability and quite often um a brand will just want to gift things and I have started to say no to the vast majority of the gifting that I'm offered because most of it's sports clothes. And yeah. we've already discussed, like, I, I don't need any more sports clothes. I have what I need. Um, and at the point that I need new ones, I'll go looking for those. But at the moment, it's not worth me having another pair of trainers. I have enough pairs of trainers. <laughs> <laughs> so I will always say no to those things now. Um, but when it comes to a paid collaboration, I try to bear in mind the value to my followers So even if it's not something that I need at that time, if I think the brand is doing a good job when it comes to sustainability or it's a really good quality brand that will last for a really long time, Mm -hmm. 
then it's something that I might promote. So for example, um, my favorite running shoes are Hoka One One Clifton's, Clifton Sixes. Um, and I discovered them a while back um, and then they contacted me to work with me. But at the time I was wearing different shoes because there was no way that I could afford the shoes yeah. that, they were, that they were selling. Um, and so technically I didn't need another pair of trainers but I knew that they were really good quality shoes. Everyone mm. had been raving about. I'd borrowed a pair once and I thought that they were incredible. And I knew that I would be wearing them forever. So that was about 18 months ago and I'm still wearing them. And they're still, like they don't have any holes in at all. They've lasted longer than any of my other shoes. And I think that if I can provide that sort of um, advice to my followers and people online, then um, hopefully I'll be promoting brands that, provide a quality product that will last for a really long time as opposed to them not getting any information from me not getting any of my recommendations and having to try out six or seven different pairs of shoes before they find one that works for them yeah yeah definitely and running shoes can be so tricky to find the ones yeah definitely um one as well yeah I mean it's individual to everyone of course um I would always recommend actually going to do a gait analysis at a a professional um, running shop because Mm -hmm. they know they know a lot more than I do and you know I'm just some person on the internet I'm not a professional so yeah they can help a lot more than me yeah but much more people will be looking to you for that advice because maybe they don't feel confident enough to go into a running shop or they don't have time or things like that or they don't know exactly and then I'm there to point them in that direction as well for all its flaws and um all the downsides of social media you know it can be really good for education and um I guess for someone like you that's got a lot that you want to say and a message that you want to share like those paid partnerships help you create those post posts and those blog posts for people that do have the informative content on absolutely and also not only is it a place for me to share information it's also a place for me to learn and I think um far too many people equate following with knowledge yeah and that is so not true um I have, you know, a kind of medium large following on social media, but the education I got is nothing to do with how many followers I have. And I would say I'm constantly still learning and constantly trying to educate myself more so that the information that I'm putting out there isn't a load of crap. Mm. Yeah. So obviously um, we've talked about running being good for you and running is really good for your mental health. Um, I think sometimes when you look at environmental issues and when you look at sustainable issues and the kind of climate crisis, it's quite easy to feel quite down about it, to feel a bit of eco-anxiety. So I wanted to talk a bit about that kind of connection between like looking after our minds and our bodies and the planet. And do you think because you're such a passionate exercise advocate that kind of helps equip you to tackle issues um, like environmental issues yeah that's a big question yeah sorry. Um, <laughs> no it's big but it's incredibly topical mm. um, because we're becoming more and more aware of um, the whole climate crisis that's yeah. going on and the more I learn the more panicky I feel um, and the only way that I can counteract that really is by doing something mm-hmm. action is the best um yeah it's the best antidote to panic in in my eyes in my experience I have to do something in order to feel a little bit less scared yeah and so that's you know why I try and use my plat what I try and use my platform for mm-hmm. um so yeah the reason that I kind of first started doing fitness actually was for mental health reasons mm-hmm. um and it was a massive help for me when I was back back at school um I wasn't exactly a sporty person and at first I 
to be fair, I kind of lied. I first started to do exercise to lose weight. Yeah. And then long after I realized that I wasn't losing any weight, I also realized that I didn't really care so much anymore because I felt strong and because I felt, I hate this word, but empowered. Like mm-hmm. I honestly felt every time I was going to the gym that I was doing something to better myself. Yeah. Um, not just to shrink myself. And the benefit of exercise for mental health is undeniable right there are so many scientific studies about it but also like on a kind of anecdotal level I know myself and also everyone that I know who does exercise has found exactly the same thing so yeah it definitely helps me feel less overwhelmed when it comes to uh feelings about sustainability but I have to say being on social media isn't always easy Mm. um and especially when you put yourself out there to talk about an issue there are a lot of people who don't know you and don't know your history and don't know where you've come from who would like to talk about you and to share negative comments as if they knew you as a human being and had decided that they hated you. And um, in those cases, I have to remove myself from social media and just take a step back and remember why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it's mm. not an ego thing. It's not because I want people to see me on social media. I started fitness because it helped me. Yeah. And I started talking about sustainability because I hope it helps other people. Um, and those are the reasons that I'm doing it. And I always need to remember that when I get some messages that are less savory. Yeah. And also, I suppose the people that you are helping or the people that are kind of your, maybe your bigger supporters might actually be quieter than the voices that are speaking out against you. Well, it always feels that way, regardless mm. of how many positive messages you get. It can be it can honestly ruin your day, your week, your month getting just a couple of negative ones. Yeah. Um, and I have a theory that biologically we're not equipped to balance positive and negative messages so um if you imagine like every day we're getting positive affirmations that what we're doing is right Mm -hmm. whether that's vocal or just you know you do something and it works that's positive affirmation and you can kind of gloss over those because things continue happening the way they happen but in the wild say you know when we're back like hunter gathering positive affirmations are not that useful it's when something goes wrong that you really need to know about it and you need to know about it now Mm -hmm. so your brain is on high alert at that point and I I think it's the same it's easy to gloss over positive messages or to say you know thank you that's very kind um but when you get a negative message your brain is immediately like you need to sort this out this is this is what you need to think about right now and I think we're kind of ill-equipped to handle that. And our brain's just, it's like an allergy, you know? Your brain is on overdrive being like, sort this out, sort this out, sort this out. Yeah. And you can't sort it out because it's some stranger over the internet and you don't know who they are and they're yeah. probably on a fake page and they've said something and you don't know what to do. And whether you, when you reply, it gets worse. And if you don't reply, it gets worse. And it's really difficult to know what on earth you should do in that situation. And mm. I just don't think we are well-equipped to handle it. And I think people's excuses um, are either, you know, it's freedom of speech, which, of course, uh, if you'd like to use your freedom of speech to spread hate, then that is your prerogative. You can do that. But is that necessarily the right thing to do? And the other one is that, you know, it's nothing I wouldn't say to their face, but we don't have 100,000 people saying things to our face every day. No. And we can't handle that. I, I am lucky that actually my platform is 
in, an incredibly positive space and it hasn't always been but at the moment it's really really lovely it's mm. a nice place to be yeah but I know for so many people that's not the case and there's just no way of mentally sorting out everything that you read online yeah there's just no filter system in our brains to handle that and so I think even if you would say it to their face maybe just don't just don't write it I, I think it's unnecessary yeah it doesn't and most of the time it says more about them than it would ever say about you um and I guess with having a large following or um people forget that there is a person behind it because it kind of has the exterior look of a brand or yeah you know something like that and um like obviously we're still like one of the first generations that have grown up with social media so there's no there's no training how to deal with it is it and like bullying and things like that you think as soon as you leave school people are gonna stop saying (laughs) mean things (laughs) unfortunately it's only the beginning but I hope that will change I honestly do I think in light of recent events um I hope that there will be some sort of legislation not to make people online invincible you know if if you are if you are doing things online that require criticism, there should be a platform and a mode in which you can criticize safely. But if it's not constructive, if it is just hate messages, if it's rape threats, death threats, you know, I've seen it all. It should yeah. not be, I mean, there is no platform for that. There, there should be no platform. And and currently there's no um, legal um there's no legal way of saying, you know, I'm receiving this online and I'm actually scared for my life or I'm scared for my safety There's mm-hmm. or my family's safety, whatever it is. There's no way of going to the police and saying, you know, I've received this message. There's there's nothing to yeah. say, you know, that that's illegal. Um, and I just, I truly believe that there should be at least to have some sort of accountability for the people that write those things. Yeah, definitely. That's so true. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a really... Um interesting tangent there (laughs) so um how do you cope do you are you quite good at being able to like detach yourself from that and think like they don't mean that you know that's not personal like do you switch off do you need like a weekend to switch off social media how do you kind of get yourself back in the right headspace um I think it's a little bit easier for me in a way because I don't receive that much of it so if I need to get my head around it I have enough space between hateful comments to do so (laughs) um but it's sort of depressing that that needs to be the case you know um it shouldn't be the case in the first place secondly I'm open open to constructive criticism and if there's something that if I'm using the wrong language on my platform um around whatever issue then I want someone to let me know so that I can Mm. correct it or if there's a brand that I'm working with that um you know my research hadn't come out with that they were doing something that you know definitely doesn't align with my values then I'd like to know that Mm. as well but all of those things are constructive and there's something it's something that I can do something about and so in those senses I enjoy working through those problems with the person who's messaged me I honestly like finding a resolution to an issue is incredibly satisfying so if there's something that we can sort out then um, I like to sort that out so unfortunately in my case that does mean spending an hour you know online talking to someone to try and sort something through Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's worth doing for me because I've not got as many followers as many people who receive the same sorts of messages but you know can't spend nine hours of their day talking to individual people who have issues with them you know yeah um 
Other than that, I try to not spend all my time on social media. I do social media consultancy and I have my own social media platforms. So a lot of my job is to do with social media, but there's something um, therapeutic about doing social media for other people because I'm not uh, responsible or (laughs) whatever for, for how it's, for how it's received in a way um but the outdoors is a massive help for me um it just clears my head almost Mm -hmm. instantaneously and if I have something that I need to sort through in my brain whether that's um you know an issue or just my brain getting caught up on something for example a hateful comment then going on a fast-paced walk or a run is really useful um and I quite often do that with my boyfriend as well because he although he has he actually has quite a big social media following he doesn't like do social media he is not a social media advocate and he is also not really like caught up in that whole world so when I see him and when we go for a run together like we can talk about it we can sort it through and then all of a sudden it just seems so unimportant yeah and you just live in the now and that really really helps me yeah I think um there's also a slight difference between how men use social media and how women use social media as Mm. well absolutely I think also women care a lot more so if something is negative um there's a lot of kind of panic about (laughs) how they'll be received and all that kind of stuff. Whereas men are kind of like, I don't care if they don't like me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's much easier for them to shrug it off. Yeah, exactly. Um, So in the years that you have been on social media and you have been building this community and you've been talking about sustainability and environmental issues, have you noticed a shift in um, your followers interest and your followers kind of, Like, have you noticed that they're getting more interested or they're getting more passionate about it? What kind of patterns have you noticed? Um, Yeah, so even my demographic has changed Mm. in the time that I've been doing more running and sustainability content rather than sort of just gymming for aesthetics. I've always been interested in kind of training like an athlete because I just think it is better for your health. So doing a wide variety of sports, but I've never really been into one sport as much as I am into running and actually was into boxing as well i'm mm-hmm. into boxing still um but because running's so accessible i feel like yeah i have a lot more followers who are interested in training rather than just working out yeah if that makes sense mm-hmm. um and the demographic has gone from being around 70 percent female to 81 percent female um which is mm. great for me because i find like we say you know men and women use social media differently i feel yeah. like um a lot of men will might just be looking at the pictures mm-hmm. and uh, for whatever reason i'm making no judgment and <laughs> whereas women might be more interested in the message behind it and they're also quite often they engage a lot more as well and i'm there for the discussion i'm not there to post things out into the ether and have people like it yeah. you know I, I want the discussion i really enjoy it the so constructive discussion exactly the constructive discussion yeah. and i find it um, very rewarding as um yeah as a kind of platform to to discuss things on mm, great so my final question I asked everyone this at the end of the um episode and you possibly have already covered it but I always ask people what has left them feeling positive and uplifted about the future because talking about these issues can um, sometimes feel quite negative so I like to end on a positive note doesn't have to be about the environment can be about running can be about something completely different can I say like two things one's very short and one of course yeah might also be very short (laughs) (laughs) um the first one is that yeah going back to the previous question in a way the interest in doing something for sustainability Mm -hmm. has 
increased massively and and that's coming from people who are not necessarily into sustainability as a thing but want to make a bit of a difference I mean I met up with my uncle the other day and he says that he's trying to eat plant-based yeah and honestly like I never thought I'd see the day um it's just not something that I think that that generation especially my family would do um so the fact that even he is aware of the issues and looking to do something about it is um huge for me and I just was grinning from ear to ear when he said it um, because it's just, it's such a big deal. Mm. Um, And it's people who haven't ever thought about the planet, really. It's not on their radar who are suddenly starting to do something, whether that's changing to an ethical bank, which requires sort of very little management. Once you've done it, your money just sits there and is invested in good things rather than tobacco and oil. Mm. Um, So that's like a really great thing for people to do. And now people who don't necessarily want to go plant-based, but want to make, some sort of difference are looking into doing things like that um and that's huge and I've noticed that on social media and I absolutely love it um the second thing is um the number of outspoken and incredibly um incredibly educated young people Mm. that I've seen and spoken to and met um, and also just follow on social media. Obviously, Greta's the obvious person. Yeah. But I went to a talk with the WWF the other day um, and it was a discussion about their Youth Changemakers Convention that's happening in April. And um, I was like the oldest person there. (laughs) I'm I'm 24. So um, (laughs) I wasn't the oldest but yeah I was definitely up there and it was a lot of school children um talking about how they can make a difference from grassroots level you know how Mm. can I how can I talk to my school to stop using disposable cutlery how can I talk to my school to maybe have a green space or talk about nature or have somewhere the hedgehogs can come like all of this kind of stuff and I feel obviously it it was a WWF talk so obviously people are going to be interested in it yeah but these people were from all over the UK And Mm. so if they're talking about it and that's a representative um, group of young people nowadays, then, you know, there is hope because the old people will die and the young people will take their places. And I just bloody hope that it will be um, the people that I've started meeting recently because they fill me with a lot of hope. Yeah, it is the younger generations that are going to have the energy to um, fight the fight. Absolutely. So as, as young as they can start learning about it, the better. I mean, it's their priority now and I I hope and I think that it will continue to be their priority because unfortunately we don't have time to make it secondary. Yeah. And I think they know that yeah. much more than the rest of us do. So yeah, room yeah. for a treat. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's great. So where can people find you if they want to learn more about running or sustainability and things like that? So um, the easiest platform is probably Instagram. Um, I'm on at Food Fitness Flora. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, you can find all the links to my other platforms. Um, but I also write for EcoAge, which does sustainability consultancy. So if you're interested in reading some of my research and all that kind of stuff, you can find it there. And I have my own blog, um, www.foodfitnessflora.blog, where I write about sustainability and running and all sorts uh, on there. And I have Twitter and I have YouTube which is just Flora Beverly Mm -hmm. and Facebook if you're old. (laughs) If you're old. (laughs) I love that. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. It was great. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, it'd be great if you could go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review as it really helps other people find our podcast. 
Thank you. See you next week.